Imagine your wedding day on white marble floors beneath crystal chandeliers and exquisite ceiling drapery. Nestled on Long Bay Point Marina in Virginia Beach, the Gala 417 is a modern and luxurious waterfront wedding venue with all-inclusive packages, award-winning catering packages, and a dedicated team of gala girls to assist you every step of the way. The Gala is the perfect place to say, I do. Your dream wedding is just a click away. Learn more at thegala417.com. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Deborah Hartswell, and you're tuned into BBR Cryptid and Paranormal Investigations. Thank you for joining me, and I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope you are well and enjoying your day. A quick update on the Todd and Car case, um, and some reports that came in after that on the back of that report, and a strange serendipity of some cases that I investigated many years ago. Um, and it leads into the question, are humans being abducted and implanted? And if so, why and by whom? Now, the Todd Midden car find is a case that came in last month on the 4th of July. And it happened close to Gadding's Dam, not too far from Todd Midden, close to the Shepherd's Rest pub. The calf was found with no ears and no lips and no cheeks and no anus, if I remember correctly. There was no blood loss on the ground. There was a very clean scene. And the calf was found amongst fields of sheep. Now, one of um, our members, Lee Nichols, went down there on the 17th of the 7th, 20, and he's put together um, a really decent report about the event. And he said that he met up with Albert, who was the witness. The calf was still in situ. There was very little predation, um, not what would be expected. Just the odd bird peck and some blowfly strike. Now, the researchers checked EMF levels, and they were normal. They took a number of soil samples, and they took them from directly underneath the carcass, and two more samples were taken by Lee and Albert from about 20 feet either side. They also scanned the area with a powerful magnet. Now, we have got a researcher who's got a Geiger counter, and he's hoping to get up there this week and um, check the area with a Geiger counter. But it's been a month, um, and we're not really sure what we'll get. But, you know, you never know. It's worth a try, isn't it? Very strange that there's no air tag, and I find it very strange that the farmer's not handed it in because you really, within seven days, you're supposed to report it to the British cattle movement um, and let them know what's gone on. And sometimes they will actually test the car to see what's wrong. Now, Paul Sinclair has investigators who are also looking for the car's owner. Myself, Paul, Lee and Albert will be investigating a number of new reports that have come in since the car was first found. When you tie these events to the well-known and reported Yorkshire UFO and abduction reports, there really does seem to be a huge amount of activity up on the Yorkshire Moors. Now, many years later, in 2002... A farmer reported cattle mutilation on Lumbitch Road, Todmorden. Now, that farm is less than a quarter of a mile from the car's location. David Caton attended at the time um, and carried out a full investigation. 
the animals there had the same face, left jaw stripping as the Gadding's dam calf. The tongue and the throat organs were missing on these. Now, this happened a number of times also between 2002 and today. Could it be possible the Gadding's dam calf is from the same farm? Now, I was contacted by a gentleman who said that he had a very strange event on the North Yorkshire Moors. He's very credible, very respectable gentleman. And he said, I was with my wife on the North Yorkshire Moors a number of years ago. A craft landed eight to ten feet from us. And it's a long story, but we managed to start the car and escape. At least I think we did. We reported the incident to the authorities and we were escorted back to the scene to explain all of the events. I've asked to see the full report from that day and we've been met with total silence from the authorities. You don't even reply to my letters and phone calls. My wife and I are both well-balanced individuals. We're now retired, but previously we were employed and we had many people in our chain of businesses. This event changed us into total believers in visitors to our planet, but we still wonder why they come here. I was calm as the craft landed. I was sort of bewildered, in awe at the sight of it. But I wasn't scared. My wife, on the other hand, began screaming and ran a few paces back to our car. I just stood looking at it calmly. It was only the sound of her screaming, Get in the car! that snapped me out of it. After being in the car, I told my wife to lock the doors. The interior and the area was well lit up with a bright light source. It was a brand new car at the time and we'd just turned the engine off a few minutes ago but it wouldn't start. It took... It's too long of a story to go into now but people often say then they would love to see what we saw. In reality, in retrospect, it was quite terrifying. I don't tell many people but it's the reason I joined this group because I feel honoured to have seen one and know that they exist. Another report that came in through the same group was from um, a gent who reported some vanishing fishermen in 1999. He said, I visited Todman in 1999 and we stayed for four days. During this time, I witnessed people disappearing in front of me in broad daylight. I saw the people when I was walking with my brother. They were fishing in a canal or a river type water and I think he means the Rochdale Canal. And as I approached them to ask if they'd caught anything, they all disappeared about 30 yards in front of me and my brother. Now, a very strange case got reported to me. I actually chatted with this gentleman. Um, and he's a toddy resident, and he reports a possible abduction on the moor and a possible implant. And he says, I'm from Todmorden, and I've seen strange objects up here. And you might think I'm crazy saying this, and I think I was abducted a couple of years ago on Toddy Moor. And the other week, I saw strange lights on the hillside. Well, I assured him that I didn't think he was crazy and that he understood and that other people had been through what he'd seen. And he shared some more events with me. He said, I kept these events to myself ever since they've happened to me. I also had missing time when I saw the craft on the moor. About half hour to an hour and a half in time had gone by. I can't remember it clearly. It's all confusing and really hard to explain. I just remember being at the bottom of the hill near Stanfield Road. Then it was almost like I was placed on my back at the side of a small dam. As I was coming back around, I noticed I could hear dogs from one side of the hill barking all across the hill. 
Now, bearing in mind this was about 12.30 at night, all this wind came over me. It went completely silent. And I started to get up and walk back down to where I was before. And as I did, the whole sky lit up for a split second like daylight. Then I heard this woozing, humming noise. That's all I can describe it as. I looked to my right-hand side and all these lights formed in on themselves about 20 to 40 feet away. Then it disappeared. And ever since then, I've noticed a small movable lump in my head above my right ear that just doesn't seem to go away. I wanted to discuss this gentleman who has a missing time event and woke up with a small movable lump in his neck. Could this lump be an imprint, implant sorry, of some kind? I know my knowledge of UFO events is very limited. However, I do have some experiences with waking up with unknown bruises and scars. My husband has a triangular scar that appeared after his missing time event. So it's a subject I have a strong interest in. I've spoken to many others who've reported similar unknown lumps, scars or injuries when waking up. Many of these people suffer terrible lucid dreams, sleepwalking, night terrors, beans around the bed and within the bedroom. One of my witnesses woke up to see the hole of the backside of his house disappear. And where the wall should be, there was a huge white light. The beam so bright it lit up everywhere. One lady who I've been speaking to for a number of years and wants to be regressed has some very strange events go on throughout her life. She too suffers with sleepwalking and night terrors. One night this year, 2020 to be exact, she described an event to me which honestly speaks of a possible implant event. She says, the other night my small toe on my right foot was itchy and sore and it's been like that for several weeks now. I never go barefoot as I'm a diabetic and it's just not worth taking any risk. I scratched my toe with my big toe on my other foot and I got quite vigorous and suddenly I felt something in my little toe and then I heard what sounded like a ball bearing drop from my toe onto the floor and then I heard it bounce on the floor and roll away. Try as we might, neither of us found anything on the floor when we searched to see what had made the noise. My toe stung like mad for a day or so afterwards. When I explained that this sounded very much like an implant uh, experience, she went on to explain an incident her son had at the dentist. My son, who's 28 years old, had, a very, had to have dental x-rays. The dental technician asked him, when did he break his jaw? My son was confused by this, as he'd never broken his jaw nor ever worn braces. The dentist had found a perfect wire-sized hole that went through his jawbone, as if he'd broken his jaw and had it wired up. And that, according to the dentist, was the only reason you should have for a hole in your jawbone. She said, my son used to chase lights in the sky. God only knows what he's seen. I never slept well for years, she said, and we had a red kite that sat in a tree close to the bedroom window. He sits facing our window no more than 20 feet away. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or... 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When he's not there, I don't sleep well. I'm restless all night long. I often wonder if he's watching over us. My son's wife tells me he's terrible at night too. He's sleepwalking, he tries to get outside, he's talking, and I've told her to hide the door keys and close the windows, etc. One of the strange things is a memory I am unsure of. I don't know if it's real or not, but I remember the details clearly. I remember being on a surgical bed in a grey room. And there were things around me, but I can't remember what they looked like. I can see this vivid image when I think about it. Which honestly brings us to the hard questions. Why are people being abducted and planted and returned, sometimes in the wrong place, almost like cattle? Does this phenomenon run in family groups? Are some of our worst nightmares connected to these abduction events? I, for instance, on a personal level, rarely sleep. I'm terrified of sleep. I wake up screaming and fighting beings around the bed. I can't wear a watch. If I do, it loses time. It stops completely and goes haywire. The kids have me on about it all the time. I have to wear a certain type of shoe that grounds me. If not, I give people static shocks constantly. I sleep, walk, hold conversations, fight, kick, punch through most of the night. It's happened since I was a small child, and it was the same for my father too. I can be sound asleep, and if my family member turns on a light, I start screaming like a banshee. Could there be an abduction event in my past that I don't remember? Is it the same for others? Serendipity has brought me to these subjects, yet for years I refused to discuss them, or even consider any alien angle whatsoever. I also remember refusing to watch the Ellen Godfrey abduction documentary as a child. I remember my dad was watching it. And normally we'd watch things like that together and I just didn't want to watch it and I don't know why. The idea was very terrifying. And yet for years as an adult, I've studied his case and the case of Zygmunt Adamska, memorised the details and have researched to find answers or some missing pieces of information. These events were very close to home and in an area I would always visit as a child and still do. My maiden name's Crossley and it's a very common name in a Todmorden area. I remember a visit to the graveyard there as a child and I was astounded at the graves that bore my last name. I have very fond memories of Hebden Bridge and Todmorden. The moor is one of my favourite places. My dad would holiday there as a child. I feel at home there but I'd never visit it at night. Too many people have gone missing there. or witness crafts and lights in the sky on that moor, and it's just not for me. 
Now, last week when I explained about Zygmunt Adamski and Alan Godfrey, I had quite a few people write in and say that I didn't really give them many details. And I also thought that it was quite a well-known case and that I'd be boring you with those details. But listening to the emails when I got them, I realised that there were certain questions that I'd had when I first heard the case uh, that other people had and that I should provide them if I could. So... Sigmund Adamska, as many of you will know, but if you don't know, he was a 56-year-old miner and he went missing from his home in the nearby town of Tingle. Now, Mr Adamska was employed at the local mine, left the house where he lived on the 6th of June 1980 and he went to walk to the local shops. Sadly, he was never seen alive again. Five days later, Mr Adamska's body was found on top of a 10-foot-high pile of coal by a yard worker, Trevor Park, in Todmorden, 20 miles away from where he went missing. Mr Park's father owned the coal yard and Mr Park's worked there with him. Now, there are many mysterious circumstances around the discovery of Mr Adamski's body. One of the strange things that was Mr Adamski was wearing a suit that was buttoned up wrongly and his shirt, wallet and watch were missing. He'd been missing for five days when he was found, yet he only had one day's growth of beard on his chin. His hair had been messily cropped and cut short, and his head, neck and shoulders were covered in strange burn marks. On examination, it was realised Mr Adamski's burns were coated in a strange ointment or substance that scientists could not identify at the time or since. There were no injuries to indicate how he died, other than the burn marks. But they were not severe enough to have caused his death. When he was found, his eyes were wide open, and his face showed an expression of pure terror, suggesting that he'd been scared to death. No one could explain where Mr Adamski had been for the five days he was missing, or how his body had found its way to the top of a 10-foot pile of coal. What was the strange ointment that was covering his burns? Why did he only have one day's growth of beard? And how did he die? James Turnbull, the coroner assigned to the case, stated that this was the biggest mystery of his career, but he declared the cause of death as a heart attack. There's never been a reasonable explanation for what happened to Mr Adamska, and the case remains open to this day. When Mr Park came upon the body of Mr Adamska, the local police were called. Now the policeman, who attended the incident at the coal yard when Mr Adamski's body was first found, was named Alan Godfrey. Mr Godfrey went on to have a very strange set of events happen not too long after attending that scene. Five months later in the November... Mr Godfrey had his own otherworldly experience less than a mile from the coal yard he'd visited such a short time ago. He'd been on duty at the time and trying to locate some loose cattle when he saw what he described as a flying saucer on Burnley Road and that was quite a common description of it in England at the time. He quickly sketched the object that he saw hovering above the ground and then headed back to the local police station to report it later noticing that he'd lost 15 to 30 minutes of time. Under hypnosis, Mr Godfrey spoke about being abducted by a UFO and being given a physical examination by two beings. 
There is very little known about Zygmunt Jan Adamska, other than he was Polish by birth, and like many of his fellow countrymen, he'd settled in England, having been forced to flee his native country during the Second World War. He set up home in the West Yorkshire village of Tingley, became a coal miner, and in 1951 married Leah Cadio, or Lotte. When she became so ill that she was confined to a wheelchair, Sigmund needed to spend more time at home with her. His own health too was suffering, and he'd been off work for several months with a lung deformity that often made breathing difficult, and Sigmund decided to st- apply for early retirement. Now, the decision on his retirement arrived in the post the day after he disappeared. I don't think a man who spent his time looking after his beloved spouse would just up and leave, taking no belongings with him. Where was he for five days when he was missing? How did he end up at the top of a coal heap, without any soot on his hands, feet or clothing? It rained hard the day he was found, and yet he had hardly any dirt on his clothing. He also had family visiting, and he'd spent the day of his abduction in Wakefield shopping with his family. He was due to give his goddaughter away the next day, and he had his speech prepared. It was around 3.30pm on the 6th of the 6th that he popped out to the local shops for potatoes for the evening meal. He grabbed his jacket, which contained his wallet, driving licence and some small change, and left the house. He passed a neighbour who was washing his car and they spoke a few words to each other. The shopkeeper stated that Zygmunt never visited the shop and when he failed to return, his wife reported him missing. Now, he was found by Mr Parks at 3.15pm on Wednesday the 11th of the 6th. Trevor Parks stated on entering the yard, he came upon the body resting in a hollow at the top of a pile of coal. He had already been there at the coal yard that morning at 8.15 and he was quite sure that the body was not there at the time. In the intervening hours, while Mr Parker had been absent, the gates of the yard had been left unlocked in case of any coal deliveries, but there had been none that morning. 25 minutes later, police officers, Mervyn Haig and Alan Godfrey, arrived at the scene to inspect the body and to question Mr Parks, who told them what he knew. But there seemed to be nothing around which would throw any light on the mystery. The body was transferred to the mortuary at nearby Hebden Bridge, and that night at 9.15, a post-mortem was conducted by the consultant pathologist to ascertain the cause of death. From an examination, he estimated the time of death was between 11.15 and 1.15 in the afternoon, around 8 to 10 hours prior to the post-mortem. The body, therefore, had been in the yard for at least two and a half hours before the discovery. No major physical injuries were evident, and there were no internal injuries which showed he had probably not died from an assault of any kind. There were, however, the curious oval-shaped burn marks on the left of his neck and also below his ear. These had caused a slight loss of skin, and they bore a brown discoloration and were coated in a tacky, sticky substance that had been applied to them, presumably as an ointment. The pathologist thought the marks indicated contact with a corrosive substance, but he couldn't tell what it was. Even though Zygmunt Adamski was found minus his shirt, which was never recovered, he'd not been sleeping rough. He 
His body showed that he had only one day's growth of stubble, so he'd evidently been staying somewhere. And even though his stomach was empty, this only indicated that he'd not eaten on the day of his death. Mr Edwards found an abrasion on the man's thigh and superficial cuts on both of his hands and knees. Now, Adamski is not your common Yorkshire name. And I've always wondered if there was a connection between Zygmunt Adamski and George Adamski, who was born 17th of April 1891, who died on the 23rd of April 1965. And George Adamski was a Polish-American citizen and an author who became widely known in UFO circles and to some degree in popular culture. He photographed um, several crafts and he stated that he'd met with some friendly Nordic aliens and taken flights with them to the moon and other planets. Is this a case of a possible blood connection between them? An ordinary Yorkshire Coleman and a famous ufologist from America seemed an unlikely match. But as we now know, our family DNA lines can be traced back to people who've lived all across the world. What was the strange substance? And is it still available for testing? It may be now, all these years later, we could possibly identify it. Does his clothing still exist in a dusty archive somewhere, just waiting to be tested with modern methods? Does he have children, and are his children still in the local area? Have they experienced anything themselves over the years? I'm unsure what the answers to these questions are, but I'm sure someone out there knows. In the weeks leading up to the disappearance of Mr Adamska, there had been numerous reports in newspapers and the police about orange fireballs and other unidentified flying objects seen across West Yorkshire, mainly in the Bradford, Halifax and Todmorden area. And that's where we get to learn about Mr Alan Godfrey. Now, as I say, Mr Godfrey was the attending officer in the Adamski case. And a little later, six months later, on the 28th of November 1980, he had his own experience with the craft. And a year later, he'd learned that he was abducted that night. While he was on patrol in Todmorden, Alan Godfrey was dispatched to search for a herd of cattle that had inexplicably vanished. The incident was out towards Ashenhurst and PC Godfrey was driving along Burnley Road. As he drove his patrol car slowly down a country lane, he brought his car to an abrupt halt when his eyes met a bizarre sight. He saw a bright light in the road ahead that he described as a hovering, rotating object. According to Mr Godfrey, he experienced missing time of approximately 25 minutes. He had a split in his boot and he had an itchy red mark on his foot when he came to. Hovering slightly five feet over the road was this diamond-shaped craft that emitted bright flashing lights, he said. He stopped the car, he blinked once and then blinked again. And what stood before him, he says, was a metallic disc with a dome and a row of windows. He began sketching what he saw in his notebook. Suddenly there was a burst of light and he found himself about a hundred yards further down the road. The UFO had gone. When Mr Godfrey came to his senses, he tried to radio his sighting in, but he was met with nothing but a strange whining static sound. And then the flying craft just vanished, leaving the constable with the eerie feeling that something beyond reason just occurred. P. 
PC Godfrey felt that it would probably be in his best interest to keep the encounter to himself. After all, to report an encounter with an alien craft at the local station would probably turn him into a laughingstock, and his colleagues on the force might think he'd lost his mind. Nevertheless, PC Godfrey could not shake the feeling that something more than just merely seeing a flying saucer had occurred that night. He still couldn't quite understand why he could not account for around 25 minutes. Not to mention that his boot had been split and the itchy sensation on his foot. The mystified and somewhat terrified police constable was finally inspired to report his encounter on discovering that other people had seen the diamond-shaped craft that night. According to reports from the surrounding area, five other police officers local residents and a lorry driver also witnessed the craft. So a year after the incident, Alan Godfrey agreed to undergo undergo regressive hypnotherapy and he was convinced this was the only way to get to the bottom of the mystery that he had consumed his entire life. While under hypnosis, PC Godfrey was able to recall getting out of his patrol car and approaching the craft. When he got within a few feet, a beam of light shot out, hitting him squarely in the chest. He remembered feeling the sensation of weightlessness as he was brought into the craft, and then everything went dark. When he awakened, he found himself lying on an exam table, and a oddly human-looking man with a beard stood at the end of the bed staring down at him, and he was described as wearing biblical-type robes. The man, whose name was Joseph, spoke to him telepathically and told him to lie still and everything would be fine. Just then, eight sharp beings with light bulb-shaped heads and large black eyes rushed into the room and began a series of medical examinations on the police officer. PC Godfrey reported that the beings also fixed an injury that he'd sustained years earlier which he was, when he was severely beaten by a group of suspects, he attempted to arrest. Now, the beings brought their examinations of Alan Godfrey to an end when he began to experience a great deal of stress. They told him they feared he might have a heart attack. To this day, PC Godfrey believes that his abduction was directly related to the abduction and subsequent death of Sigmund Adamska. An important feature in the Alan Godfrey case is the teleportation of a dozen cows from a secure field at the farm at the top of Fernie Lee Road to the council estate. They were roaming about making a mess and then they vanished before Alan Godfrey got there to answer the calls from the residents. Alan, with another officer, later discovered them around 6am, standing in the rugby field of a securely gated park. Across the river alongside the Burnley Road, and no one can explain how they got there. Now, PC Godfrey is not the only serving police officer who was reported a strange craft or unusual lights in the sky. There are records of sightings by three police officers in Halifax at 10 to 5 in the morning on the 21st of the 11th, 1980, just seven days prior to PC Godfrey's experience. PC's porter and Turnpenny, who were stationed at Ovenden Police Station, and a PC Baxter at Halifax Police Station, saw a very bright steel blue flashing light high in the sky, moving left to right over Withingsmore towards Keeler. So, what are people being abducted? 
What process is happening? What are they testing for, if they're testing at all? Has Mr Godfrey or his family and members experienced any further events? All these questions, sadly, I cannot answer. But I am sure there will be people out there listening who can. There are so many UFO reports in Yorkshire and there are far too many to share here. But here's a small selection of some of them. Multiful UFO sightings in Rothwell, West Yorkshire, 2002 to 2017. On the 16th of the 12th, 2000, uh, 2002, a variety of objects were spotted in the sky and reported to the Yorkshire police. The objects described as large, long and thinly shaped then joined together and soared through the sky. One of the most recent sightings was on January the 9th, 2017, when a dog water, walker spotted a group of white lights which had three red lights attached to them, and this was a craft moving slowly from northeast to southeast. Now, another police officer witnessed a UFO in Holmfirth, West Yorkshire, in 2016. He was a retired police officer, and he saw the UFO, um, after we reportedly saw this triangular craft which glowed bright green in the dark night sky. The man took a closer look through his binoculars before reporting it to a Skulls-based UFO investigator. He then went and filmed what he believed to be the same UFO. There was um, a case where a lady phoned into um, one of the morning TV shows and she was from Yorkshire and she said that she'd been abducted. And she'd been taken into a craft and she'd seen a number of beings and they'd spoken to her telepathically. And I feel that she was treated appallingly by the gentleman, I use that word loosely, that interviewed her. And if you're out there, Vivian, please get in touch because I would love to hear your story and I'd like to put you in touch with some other people that have experienced a very similar thing to you in um, Yorkshire. And if you're out there, please get in touch. My email is Debbie Hatswell at gmail.com it's all lowercase d-e-double-b-i-e-h-a-t-s-w-e-double-l at gmail.com um i've been trying to find this lady for a while now to be honest um and if you're out there in whether it's todmorden Hebden bridge west yorkshire north yorkshire south yorkshire get in touch if i can't help you i'm sure paul sinclair can help you and i can put you in touch with him um or les drake or lee nichols um I'm going to hand the UFO cases over to him now um, because it's his field of expertise, you see. It's not really mine. But I'm still taking reports when they come in. My field of expertise is witnesses, taking their accounts and giving them a voice, really, getting their voice out there. Um, and I would imagine that there are many, many people out there who have experienced something very similar to these people tonight. So until next time, good night, everyone.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.